Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Goat podcast. Josh here with you today, and there is a lot to get into. I still have a lot of feelings over what happened Monday night in the Saints and Seahawks Monday night football game. I need to react to that and talk about that uh, because that was a disappointment from the start. Then tomorrow night, big Thursday night football game. Green Bay Packers, Arizona Cardinals. However, some key players out for the Packers. Do they even still have a shot at winning this game? Then I'll give you my NFL top five. Some of the predictions so far through seven weeks I am right on as we are approaching the halfway point in the season. Uh, Then I'll get into some NBA. LeBron sitting last night. AD injured, but comes back into the game, and they get the win. Uh, MLB playoffs, we're into the World Series, started yesterday. I'm going to talk about the Braves, Astros, then I'll finish up with my top five teams in the NHL and preview the Flyers and Oilers tonight. So let's go ahead and get started with the New Orleans Saints and Seattle Seahawks. Monday night football game from two days ago. And let's just say, I kind of predicted this. Kind of just got, you know, hit the nail right on the head. Felt pretty good about this. I said the New Orleans Saints was going to win. That was my first prediction. Got that right. My second one was that Kamara would have a big, big game and he did. Now they really didn't. Uh, he didn't really have a big game running the football. You know, averaged two point six yards on twenty carries. Only had a long of twelve. The Seattle Seahawks. I got to give them props. They did a tremendous job at stopping him and running the football. However, catching the football. That was a totally. Totally different story. He had 10 receptions for 128 yards, a touchdown, so all-purpose yards. He had 179 yards from scrimmage, and I said uh, he'd have over 150 and have a heck of a game. That's exactly what Alvin Kamara did. Uh, He torched Seattle. What a game by him. Uh, Simply brilliant. I hope all the fantasy managers had him in. Because he certainly did deliver on Monday night. But other than that, you know, I thought the weather was going to be worse and there would be more elements. But this wasn't, I would say, this wasn't a great defensive battle. This was just bad offense against bad offense. That is what I saw. And I just saw so many questionable calls and decisions made from Seattle in this game that really uh, did frustrate me and to me kind of handed this win over to the New Orleans Saints. The Seattle Seahawks struck first uh, right in uh, right off the bat. I mean, DK Metcalf, career-long, 84-yard pass, working on Marshawn Lattimore, one of the best or one of the better defensive backs in the game. Uh, Geno Smith throws it to him. It's one-on-one. DK Metcalf makes a play and then takes it to the house. And I thought, whoa, 
maybe this game will be a little bit different than what I thought. Uh, that play was great. And DK doesn't get targeted again until the fourth quarter. You kidding me? You kidding me? I know uh, they changed the defensive uh, play scheme a little bit up where the safety wasn't coming down. Uh, sent him a little high so that if DK was running those deep routes, uh, kind of eliminate him. But you can't give DK any other routes. You can't find a way to get your best wide receiver the football. Instead, you try to pound it with Alex Collins. And he's a little bit hobbled. He goes for 2.2 yards a carry. 16 carries, 35 yards. Abysmal night from him. Along of 6 yards. Can't even run for a first down. That's how bad that was. To make matters worth worse, Geno Smith is simply atrocious. There's a reason why he's a backup and a backup for Russell. Because Russell's an Ironman and he doesn't want to see Geno in there. Geno was terrible. They only threw 22 uh, pass attempts, and he completed 12 for 167 yards. However, the total was 129 because he took huge uh, sacks, five sacks for 38 yards, a couple of those being on sort of their last drive where they needed to kick the field goal or drive down to get into field goal range. And he took two uh, big sacks. I mean, this man has no pocket presence, no awareness, no elusiveness, no feel uh, back there. It's simply uh, sad to watch. And the other sad thing is that Pete Carroll is playing to win by the field goal. And obviously, I don't know why, and Jason Myers uh, wasn't his night last night. It wasn't. Uh, missed two field goals. I believe one from 40 yards away and then one from 50. He was one for three. Uh, so I don't know why you're playing for a field goal or to tie when he already missed one. I know he was great last year, but this year he's only six for 10 uh, from field goals. Maybe he's missed one extra point. So I don't know why you'd want to put the game in Jason Myers' hands. I thought they should have been more aggressive. There was quite a few fourth and one calls that actually... You know, the Saints went for and they got with the QB sneaker with Kamara. But Seattle presented with that same situation. They pumped the football. They're too conservative. And now, to me, they're dead in the water. They're 2-5 and five with how the AFC is looking. With what I said in my previous podcast with how big... Uh, this game was just for few future playoff implications. Now, the to me, the script is flipped. Uh, it's over for Seattle. It's over for Pete Carroll. They need a rebuild, a restructure of somehow, because uh, it's over. And I've been saying this kind of all offseason, all last year, even though Seattle won its division last year. They were 12-4 and four year before. They had 11 wins and... You know, you can say they've done that, but last year, to me, they really won the division because of the brilliance of Russell Wilson, uh, the comeback wins, kind of somehow winning those closed games. And this year, that's the opposite. With Russell Wilson injured, it's just a bad offensive football team. Pete Carroll even admitted after the game that without Russell Wilson, I probably wouldn't have been here a very long time. And 
I do agree with that statement to the max. Uh, it looks like Russell Wilson has bailed him out plenty of times considering this poor scheme of the Seahawks, the constant ability to just want to run the football. When you don't have a bona fide running back back there, it makes no sense to me at all. The play calling, the decision making by Pete Carroll, to me, his time is up. It should be up. I think Pete Carroll's a great coach. Uh, for sure will be a Hall of Famer. Uh, won a Super Bowl. Uh, to me, won a couple of national championships in USC. I don't care what the sanctions tell me or the vacations or whatever. Uh, but to me, he still won those two national championships, even though they stripped uh, USC of those. But great coach. But I think his time is up in Seattle. And it really should be up. It'll be for the better of both uh, the Coach P and for the organization in Seattle. Because, as I said, they are dead in the water. Uh, you know, other than that touchdown drive in the first half, you know, they punted five times. And then in the second half, they missed two field goals. Uh, punted and then the turnover on downs when it was, you know, a fourth and 29 at the very end of the game. And that was uh, something they needed uh, to convert on. So to me, Seahawks, very, very poor performance all around. No running game, no passing game, uh, no answers at all on Pete Carroll's side. But on New Orleans, you know, You've got to be happy that no Drew Brees. You're four and two. You're second in your division in the NFC South. You have a wild card spot uh, right now. You're sitting at the sixth spot, so you got to be pretty happy. Even though you still got the Bucks to play twice and some other tough teams, but four and two, I think you'd take that, especially considering you know you beat the Patriots, the Packers, and some other teams. So. I think the Saints are in a good spot moving forward. The schedule does get more difficult now for the Saints, but I think they do have a good start at 4-2. and two. Uh, They have a heavy dose of Camara, even though I don't think they'll be able to rely on that all season long. I think they need to open up the passing game a little bit more. But I'll talk more about Seattle in a few minutes. Now moving on to tomorrow night's Thursday night football game was slated to be, you know, with the records shaping up and with how these teams were looking, one of the better, if not the best Thursday night football games of the season. You have the Green Bay Packers, first in their division, 6-1, and one, playing the Arizona Cardinals, who are 7-0, and oh, undefeated in their division, you know, only undefeated team left in the NFL. Uh, what a matchup. This was going to be Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins. However, this matchup to me has taken a little bit of a hit with Green Bay and you know their defensive coach out due to COVID. Star wide receiver Devontae Adams out due to COVID. Alan Lazard out due to COVID. Bakhtiari still out nursing an injury. Same with Jair Alexander. So to me, this matchup has really lost a lot of this luster. 
I really did think that this was going to be a great, a great matchup, uh, you know, back and forth. Now, to me, I don't really know where I'll see this matchup going. I know the Packers have beat opponents in the past without Devontae Adams. They did that last year. Uh, Aaron Rodgers acknowledged it, but he also acknowledged how much more difficult it is to win games without number 17 out there. Uh, but I will say this. I've made a prediction for every uh, Thursday night game so far, so I will stick to my uh, guts of doing that. This was a game going into you know the past week or so. I was pretty confident in Green Bay. I thought they'd get the win here. With this... Uh, situation, especially with Devontae out, it makes them less, uh, to me, less likely to win this game. You know, the Cardinals, I believe, are favored uh, to win by their six and a half point favorites. ESPN's FPI puts them at 67% to win the game. So to me, the Green Bay is really the underdog. But I'm going to say this I'm rolling with Green Bay. Why? Because right now, they have a top-two quarterback in the league. With the turnovers uh, Mahomes is doing, I've dropped him down to number three. Tom Brady's number one. But Aaron Rodgers is number two on my list. He can make things happen that even Kyler Murray can't make happen. And I know, you know, Devontae Adams is out. Alan Lazard is out. But this secondary of Arizona does not scare me. I'm not scared by Buda Baker, Byron Murphy, whoever secondary they throw out there. I really don't think Aaron Rodgers is scared of that secondary. I think uh, he'll throw no matter who's out there, whether it be Robert Tunyon or Marquez Aldez-Scantley. I really believe Aaron Rodgers will still be a big game. I think the key factor is going to be this offensive line, who's held up great without their all-pro left tackle. Chandler Jones is back for Arizona. They've got J.J. Watt, who's been great. Can they handle this kind of front seven look from Arizona? Because if they can at least hold off, give Aaron Rodgers some time to throw, give him some clean pockets, he's going to make the correct throw. He's going to make the accurate throw uh, to his receivers down there. And then on defense, Arizona got off to a slow start. But last year, this is where we saw... The Cardinals sort of tail off, started 6-3, and three, great season. All this praise for Kyler Murray and MVP, and it dipped. This year, they're 7-0, and oh, all this praise for Kyler Murray. I don't think they'll dip as drastically as they did last year, but I think there'll be a little bit of a dip. Of course, you know, we want to see them go against a real, full, healthy opponent against the Browns two weeks ago. Uh... Baker Mayfield was hobbled, their star uh, running back Nick Chubb was out, Kareem Hunt got injured, uh, so Jarvis Landry and them, so uh, they faced a hobble team, 49ers, no George Kittle, uh, no Jimmy Garoppolo as well, so to me, they haven't really had a great opponent that was a full strength again, except the Titans in week one, but I believe week one in the NFL, anything can happen. Anything can happen.
But now, I do believe the Packers will win this game. I really do. I believe you got the advantage for Aaron Rodgers at quarterback over Kyler Murray. That might be the only advantage this game uh, with you know DeAndre Hopkins and them healthy over there with Zach Hurts. But I like the Packers to come in as underdogs and upset the Arizona Cardinals even with all this uh, uncertainty around them with players being out. Aaron Rodgers is going to have a big game. I believe Cardinals will have a big game. I think they'll trade shot for shot. But to me, if there's 30 seconds left, as I've seen already this season by Aaron Rodgers, even if he has no timeouts, he'll win a game. Granted, they had Devontae Adams. That's his favorite player, his most targeted player. But he's going to find a way to get the ball uh, to the other players. I think he's going to relish this game, relish this moment as an underdog. I think he's going to attack this weak, very weak secondary of Arizona Cardinal players, expose them, and then get the win. That's what I think will happen here this tomorrow night. And I'm lucky because guess what? I'm going to that game. I'm going to see Aaron Rodgers uh, dismantle this Cardinals defense single-handedly. That's what I get to watch. Then I can do another podcast on Friday and just dissect all that glory right there. I'll be on the visitor sideline with the Green Bay Packer fans. What a joy that will be to be rooting with a bunch of cheeseheads. Not a cheesehead myself, but I'll make myself an honorary cheesehead for the game tomorrow night. I have rooting interests, and I'm rooting for the Green Bay Packers tomorrow night. They'll get the win tomorrow. I'm really confident in Aaron Rodgers. Really think he'll be the key difference maker. With all that being said, with Week 7 officially in the books, who are my top five teams in the NFL? I'm going to say this. My top five teams are unchanged from last week, so I'll still give them to you. But they're unchanged. I would say below that, there was quite some radical shifting uh, between, you know, the 6 to 15 mark. But my top five stayed the same. And I'm going to say exactly what I said last week. The NFC, to me so far, seems much better than the AFC. Much stronger than the AFC. I believe the Super Bowl champion will come out of the NFC. This year, I do. So I'm going to give you my top five NFL teams, which happen to be all NFC teams. Number five, the Dallas Cowboys. Just off a bye week this week, they're rested. But now Dak's dealing with his calf injury. Who knows if he'll be ready against the Vikings. I think they'll need him in order to beat the Vikings this week. But so far this season... This offense has looked really good. Dak Prescott has looked amazing, has been in sync with his wide receivers, Amari Cooper. CeeDee Lamb has been great. Rejuvenated rushing attack uh, with Zeke and Pollard. They've been good. This defense, much more improved than last year. To me, that's the biggest thing. Micah Parsons is making a difference, but also Trayvon Diggs is stepping up. uh, More experience, seven interceptions. 
uh, so far this year. But turnovers are huge. That helps the offense out when you're getting off the field, when you're giving your offense great field position to then go out and score. That's what I've seen from this team. And that's why they're at number five in my power rankings. Number four, the Green Bay Packers. I thought they'd struggle a little with Washington this past week. They did, but to me it was more self-inflicted wounds on Washington, which is why this game should have been closer, but it still ended up you know, only being a 14-point victory uh, for Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, terrific. One of the best quarterbacks. Devontae Adams, the best wide receiver. The great quarterback wide receiver duo. Aaron Jones has also been great. It's shown why they paid him the money this offseason. Even though not his strongest game against Washington. He's been needed all season. And I think coming up tomorrow night, he's going to need a big game. That was probably one thing I missed. Is that... I trust Aaron Jones in this running game uh, more than the Cardinals running game with Chase Edmonds and James Conner. I think Aaron Jones will have a big game tomorrow night. I think it'll also open up a play-action pass because I think this defense uh, will be confused whether to load the box or you know just leave them one-on-one with what they think will not be their best wide receivers. I think that gives them another advantage to win as well. And that's what they've been doing. A steady dose of Aaron Jones uh, and great quarterback play by Aaron Rodgers. This offense has been rolling. That's why they're 6-1 and one and one of the best teams in the NFL. Number three, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was tempted to put them back at one after uh, the win on Sunday because they looked that good. They looked that much in sync to me. This was their best performance so far of the season. It was. Tom Brady was locked in. 211 yards, four touchdowns. Pro Football Focus grades him as the number one quarterback, deservedly so, because he's thrown for the most touchdown passes, uh, yards as well. Tom Brady has simply been brilliant this year at 44 years old, leading this team. Leading quarterbacks, he was good to me. Leonard Fournette has solidified himself as a number one running back. Has shown some shades of a former Jacksonville Jaguar premier back that he was. No Antonio Brown. No Rob Gronkowski last week. And they got it done with the weapons. Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. It just shows how much more potent this offense is when they actually have him back. But how good they still are. The defense got to Justin Fields, threw for three interceptions, uh, three sacks. Its defense was ferocious. To me, they're this best defensive performance of the season so far. Even with a thin secondary, they confused Justin Fields. You know, the week before, Jalen Hurts had a decent performance. I thought Justin Fields could replicate some of that, but nope, they shut Justin Fields down. Buccaneers offense has been flowing all season long. If this is a defensive performance we're going to come to see in the next few weeks, then watch out because Tampa Bay is back to where they were last year. This team is scary good and scary loaded.
Number two, the Los Angeles Rams. A little bit of struggle with the Detroit Lions. The Lions pulled out all the stops, but even after that, all that trickery, still too much to overcome. Los Angeles Rams are just too good. Matthew Stafford is that much better than uh, Jared Goff playing, to me, his best football that he's ever played. Fits in with this offense. Daryl Henderson has been an okay back. I know Cam Akers going down was huge for them. But to me, Daryl Henderson has stepped in admirably. Cooper Cup, to me, could be a possible MVP candidate. Matthew Stafford loves throwing to him. Cooper Cup is the man in this offense. Is the X Factor, to me, is a legitimate superstar now. His ability uh, to run routes, uh, get open, and not only just run certain types of routes, uh, but can run all of them working the slot, working the X. Uh, this guy is great. And they've been great all season. That tandem's been in sync. Uh, this defense uh, has been in sync as well, albeit not as strong as they were last year. Still got in key victories. They're 6-1. and one, And to me, this is the best the Rams have looked under Sean McVay. I know that they've had that great offense before instituted with Jared Goff years ago, but to me, they look really dangerous this year. Number one, though, is still the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to default this just because they have an undefeated record. I know there's some flaws, but I will give my props to based on the schedule they've played so far and the players that have actually lined up on the field. Kyler Murray, great. Another quarterback that's thrown for over 2,000 yards. You know, 17 touchdowns as well. The connection to not only DeAndre Hopkins, but Christian Kirk, who's second on the team. Then you've got A.J. Green. Zach Ertz is integrated in there. This offense is flowing. This is, to me, the air raid attack that Cliff Kingsbury had in Texas Tech, and he loved. Right now it's here in Arizona with all the weapons at Kyler Murray's disposal. The defense, to me, has been legit, too. J.J. Uh, Watt has been decent. No injury has affected him. Chandler Jones has been great as well. You see the dynamic of two legitimate pass rushers, uh, how game-wrecking that can be for an opponent's offense. And then uh, the secondary has made some plays, not a ton, uh, but to me, this front seven really... Has bailed them out a lot so far. You know, I've got to give props to the Arizona Cardinals. NFC West, 7-0. I actually predicted them to be last in the NFC West, but still make a playoffs. I've been wrong about that so far. So those are my top five teams in the NFL. The Dallas Cowboys, the Green Bay Packers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Arizona Cardinals. There are just a couple more things I want to talk about in the NFL before I move on to the NBA. The first is the Seattle Seahawks. No, I spent much of my time talking about them. But really, when you examine the Seattle Seahawks, they are really in dire straits right now. They're sitting at 2-5. and five. They're projected to have, I think... You know, right now, the number six pick in the draft. But guess what? 
They don't get that pick. Why? Because they traded this pick to the New York Jets for Jamal Adams. They traded last year's first-round pick, this year's first-round pick. This could be very bad because Russ or Pete Carroll and uh, John Schneider have not hit good on recent draft picks. They just haven't. The only hit I can remember is DK in the first round. They've traded away first-round picks. They've traded around draft picks in general. Haven't been any good. Now they're sitting at 2-5. and five. We are needing to rebuild. Now you have no draft picks. So this kind of mediocre roster that you have, uh, especially on defense, won't get much better through the draft, at least this year, unless you're willing to make trades and accept a rebuild where you could trade pieces like Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams, Bobby Wagner, maybe Russell Wilson after a trade. So you have all those scenarios. And to me, Seattle's going to have to fully examine them because their season is done, looking like they'll be last in the NFC West. And I was sort of right so far on a lot of the things in the NFL, a lot of the bad teams in the NFL, the typical ones. However, there were a key few things that through seven weeks I've been wrong on so far. One is the Miami Dolphins. I thought with how good they were, and to me they improved through the draft in the offseason, that they could just fight for the seventh spot in the playoffs. I was very wrong about that. Miami sitting at 1-6. and six, uh, Trade rumors over uh, Deshaun Watson. So really, they're in shambles right now at the moment. They won't be making the playoffs. I was wrong about that. The Chiefs, I thought they'd be a lot better. But I really highlighted their issues on the previous podcast. And I was kind of right on everything in the NFC Dallas Cowboys far away being above the rest of this NFC division with Dak back, a Green Bay leading the charge, Detroit being terrible at 0-7. Uh, so far, the only team that has not won a football game. NFC South Tampa Bay being supremely the best team in that division. NFC West kind of wrong and right. Uh, not really loaded. I thought the Rams would be the best team Uh Cardinals demolish them, but there's still one more matchup between them. I said the Cardinals will be last in this division to make the playoffs. To me, the last team in this division is Seattle. They're playing like it, and to me, last team in this division won't even make the playoffs with how bad that they are playing. So I've got some right, some wrong, but there's still uh, 10 weeks to go in what should be an entertaining middle and end to this NFL season. Now moving on to some NBA. Last night, you know, LeBron sat in the Lakers win, tested out that ankle, decided not to give it to the go, and won a performance last night by Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, with a little injury scare, Got down, who knows if he'd come back, but he did what LeBron did. Finished out the rest of the game uh, after kind of his knees uh, collided on rebound. But Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, not a big night, uh, nor anyone else other than Anthony Davis. 35.17 rebounds, big night for him, double-double. Also, big night for Russell Westbrook. 
33 points, 10 rebounds, looked like the leader of the Lakers with LeBron out. Hit a clutch three, only one of the night, but it was clutch, got it to go down. They go into overtime, and it was too much. Russell Westbrook just powering through. Malik Monk with some key threes as well. And to me, this is what's concerning is the Lakers, especially Russell Westbrook, looking that good without LeBron. They need to learn to coexist because to me, without LeBron, and maybe they should just alternate every game and they'll win every game and they'll be rested and ready to go for the playoffs because LeBron's the de facto point guard, even if he isn't listed at a point. That's what he is. He's a great passer, great vision, can open up, is a better shooter than Russell Westbrook. But Russell Russell Westbrook has the drive, the energy, you know, the give it your all night in and night out that, you know, LeBron does take some plays off in the game. But they're going to have to learn to coexist because I feel if they could uh, learn all three of them, AD, LeBron, uh, and Russell, but especially LeBron and Russell, this team could be very, very difficult to beat. Other news in the NBA. The Knicks beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, kind of really did beat them. It was not close throughout any of the night. Kemba Walker with a big night in double figures. Led the team in points. But Evan Fournier, double digits. RJ Barrett, uh, Derek Rose, Julius Randle. They all look good. And we also shot the three. Very well. This was a team that did not shoot the three very well last year. And they shot 43% last night. They did and held the 76ers, who to me is not a great uh, three-point team, to 29%. Got Joel Embiid frustrated. Only two of seven from the field. He's got to be better. Uh, Tobias Harris, the only one with 20 points. Uh, But this was a team that New York... Had the energy, had the crowd going into it. it. The place was electric, and they got a big win. To me, it's going to be with this new emphasis on shooting the three for the Knicks. Is this something that they can keep up moving forward? Is this sustainable? If it is, in majority of a night, they can shoot like that. I really like this team and the way they're built. It's just... If they get cold, of course, I think they'll lose one. But is this a sustainable type of offense? Not one that uh, Thibodeau is used to coaching with uh, the high emphasis on shooting the three. Then the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets, to me, two of the top teams in the NBA uh, so far, was a very, very close game. But the game changed in the second half. Uh, when Nikola Jocic went down, didn't return, probably be out for a while. That certainly hurt this team because, you know, leading the team uh, in points and assists, 24 points last night from Jokic when he exited. Uh, you really can't overcome that. You've got Jamal Murray already out that they're trying to overcome. Then Nikola Jocic goes out. And to me, you can't, the Denver Nuggets just can't uh be without both Jamal Murray and Nikola Jocic and expect uh, to win a lot of games. They need uh, their man 
uh, the Joker in the starting lineup playing reigning MVP that he is. But I won't uh, take all that credit away because Utah Jazz still had to win a game. And they played great. Uh, They did. Uh, Mike Conley, you know, to me is just a sensational uh, point guard to watch. Donovan Mitchell uh, is well at the two. Even though they didn't have a great night shooting uh, from the three. None of them really did. Uh, But to me, the difference, Rudy Gobert making his presence felt. Uh, out hustling, going for the rebounds, got 23 points as well, was efficient. There was really no answer for Rudy Gobert, which is surprising. Uh, big win for the Utah Jazz. They move to 3-0. and oh. Now tonight I'm going to make some other uh, game picks. I made two on Monday. The Nets-Wizards. I picked the Nets. I was right about that one. I also picked the Clippers to beat the Trailblazers. I was right about that one. They routed them 116-86. to 86. So I'm looking pretty good on that front. Tonight, I will make two picks as well. The first is the Atlanta Hawks and the New Orleans Pelicans. And to me, I'm picking uh, the Atlanta Hawks. No Zion Williamson for the Pelicans. That's a huge loss. Uh, that he's not able to start the season. I really do think Atlanta will win this game. Uh, Trey Young uh, will lead this team to a win. Uh, Clint Capella rebounding. You know, Trey Young averaging a double-double, 25 points, uh, 10 assists. Great facilitator, and he'll get the win tonight, I believe. The other matchup is the Memphis Grizzlies and... The Portland Trailblazers. I'm going with the Grizzlies. Uh, I don't think Portland's that strong of a team. You know, no Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. I think John Morant's taking that next step. You know, just dropped 40 points and a loss to the Lakers. Very game which they could have won. To me, the Grizzlies were much ascending last year. And then, you know, beat the Warriors in the play-in, which was huge. John Morant and this team is sending, I know no Dylan Brooks, but I really like where this Grizzlies team is standing at the start of this season. Love John Morant, a great playmaker, a tremendous athlete, uh, hustle, getting better at the free three and making free throws, even though he missed a huge one against the Lakers. But with this print team improving, and to me, Portland really declining, uh, I expect a big performance from Ja Morant tonight against the Trailblazers. Now moving to some MLB talk. Last night was the first game of the World Series between the Atlanta Braves and the Houston Astros. I did pick the Atlanta Braves to win the World Series and to win the game last night. And they proved me right Uh Won six to two. Morton, uh, Charlie Morton, with a good first two innings. However, they lose their star pitcher, who to me is familiar with some of the key guys on the Astros, to injury. Uh, I believe it's a fractured fibula. Uh, you know, the ball hit him on a swing that the ball then went back to his foot uh, through another pitch. Uh, kind of tweaked it some more. 
So if that's fractured, they lose him. At least they get the win. Uh, but that win comes with a big loss if they lose him the rest of this series. But the Braves, to me, were hotter than the Houston Astros coming into the series. Houston Astros did beat the Red Sox, but to me, Astros were clearly a better team. However, the Atlanta Braves beat the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers were on paper a much better team, even with some injuries. That's why they made so many trades to just load up their roster to deal with injuries. And the Atlanta Braves beat them. And last night, Atlanta was still rolling. The leadoff home run to start it eventually through three innings. Having a 5-0 lead, uh, and there was really no looking back from there. Atlanta was great. Now tonight, uh, there is another matchup, Braves and Astros, Game 2. To me, the back is up against the wall uh, for the Houston Astros. This is a huge game because they lose this one. The next three are in Atlanta. But to me, the pitching advantage actually goes to Jose Urquidy uh, for the Astros tonight instead of Max Fried. Uh, why? Because Houston Astros have a balanced lineup. But to me, I fear they are right-handed hitters more. Carlos Correa, uh, Altuve, uh, Tucker, Bregman. And Fried's a left-handed pitcher. So tendencies there is that the right-handed lineup fares better. Whereas Jose... Is right-handed should fare well against uh, the Braves. Even though to me the Braves have a more balanced lineup, you know, you have Freddie Freeman hit left, uh, which will benefit them. But I'm going to pick the Astros to win this game. I believe they'll even it up. Another game in Minute Maid Park. The fans were going before the game, and the Braves silenced them. I think if the Braves have to win again, they have to silence early. Uh, this is a different face than the Dodgers. Where, you know, they were winning the walk-offs uh, at their stadium. I don't believe that happens tonight. I believe the Houston Astros get the win and tie up the World Series tonight. Now moving on to some NHL. Tonight, Flyers and Oilers all make one pick. Oilers are on a roll so far. They are. However... Don't feel like it's sustainable. I feel like Philadelphia is going to get the upset here. Which then now leads me to my top five NHL teams. Number five, the Washington Capitals. They've been great this year. Uh, Haven't had a regulation loss. They're 4-0-2. Alexander Ovechkin has been great. Uh, Tom Wilson on that same line. Has also been really good. That first line has worked out great for them. Goaltending has also been strong for Washington. And to me, this is just a great regular season team. Year in and year out. They open the season strong. And so far, it's that way again for the Washington Capitals. Number four. The St. Louis Blues. To me, this is a surprising one considering... Sort of a turmoil that happened before this season. But they are really, really good. Uh, 
I don't think they're perfect, but to me, I've always liked Jordan Bennington. Uh, you know, was great in that postseason run where they won the Stanley Cup. Has struggled since then, but he's had a great start to the season. I think if he keeps it up, they can certainly be uh, a great, great team this year. Number three, Edmonton Oilers. Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl. Great performers in the regular season, rack up all the points. Uh, however, they started strong because of Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. You know, they've been great in years past for parts from a regular season. It's just, can they sustain it? For right now, I'll put them here. But later on in the season, it's going to be nice to see where they're actually at. And of course, the power play, 47% uh, to start this season. That's what happens when you have two of the best offensive players in the game, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, on one line. Number two, the Carolina Hurricanes, another team that's undefeated and has six wins uh, to start the season. Everything is going well for them. Again, another good regular season team. I'm all about what it is in the postseason and how you play. Uh, in keeping that same trajectory from the postseason or from the regular season of the postseason. That's no different, but Carolina has played great so far. Uh, forwards, defense, goalie, everything's been good. But the number one team to me is the Florida Panthers. And to me, they did ascend last year, had a gritty series against the Lightning, of which they lost. But so far, they've been great. I thought they'd be a great team. Uh, Alexander Barkov is amazing. Goaltending, you know, they lost uh, Drearden to the Kraken, which they selected. Left them with Sergei Bobrovsky. But he's been great. He's earning his money. His crazy contract that he signed years ago. That's why the Florida Panthers are number one. To me, the goalie is the most important position in the NHL. And Sergey's playing like the best one so far. So those are my top five teams. The Washington Capitals, the St. Louis Blues, the Edmonton Oilers, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Florida Panthers. And then one quick note before we exit is this. This weekend, a lot of big games on. But to me especially is the Saturday College football day, you know, big game for Michigan, Michigan State. Jim Harbaugh, huge 2-7-0 teams. This is one I've been thinking about, talking about quite a lot lately and wanting to get some closure that day. But to me, this is the best start I've seen from Michigan. To me, I like it more than that uh, previous start where they started uh, 9-0 in 2016. I really like this team. Like how it's built, like the culture there. Big game for Michigan. Also a big game for Michigan State. But the same for James Franklin as well at Penn State. You know, he has two losses already this season, him and uh, Penn State. That's what I've seen from Penn State in the past is they kind of lose one game uh, in the season. And it kind of derails them the rest of the season. And they end up with, you know, two, three, four losses. Same with Michigan. Michigan, you know, kind of loses one and they spiral. And 
Phil finish eight and four after starting six and zero. I don't want to see that happen to Michigan this year. I don't want to see that happen to Penn State. I want Penn State to have a great game against Ohio State this weekend. You know that's a much tougher challenge in the shoe, but Michigan's going to a hostile environment in East Lansing. Two very very big Big Ten games and national games as well. I'll be talking more about those on Friday, but so far. Those are, to me, the two biggest games of this weekend that I'm looking forward to. But tonight, I mean tomorrow night, you got Packers and Cardinals. What do you guys think? Packers going to pull off the upset? Or are the Cardinals going to still be undefeated at 8-0? Talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody.